Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, I'm Stephen. And I'm Helen. And welcome to the New Statesman podcast. It's not quite an emergency podcast, actually. It's the first time things have returned to slight amounts of normality. Um, I think as we really need to talk about this astonishing fact of the number of people who've signed up to vote as registered supporters. So it's, what, 180,000? 185,000. And at 25 quid a pop, that is nearly £5 million, pounds, right? Someone yep. can check my maths if they want yeah. to. But actually, for the for a Labour Party that has got not a big cash flow issue because it spent so much on the referendum and it's not attracting big donors, yeah. that is good news. I mean, that, it basically means that they are they have spent only half a million pounds on the referendum, as it were. They have all but wiped out their referendum spend. Yeah, so that's nice. And actually, they probably have enough money to vet all those people. I think as someone put it, to type all their names into Google plus SWP or well, I think the, plus, you know, Greens or whatever. The other slightly interesting thing about all of the money is last time a lot of party staffers accepted that they had to do unpaid overtime because someone had to vet it and there was no money. The interesting thing is, of course, now there is money. You kind of wonder whether or not more people can go, do you know what? Actually, I do want the overtime, or we are going to get pizza every day, or et cetera, et cetera. Um, so Paul War of the Huffington Post reports, and he had to update and correct this, 60-40 from sampling, uh, 60% in favour of Corbyn, but 40 against. Now, if you think about the fact that registered supporters last time were 80%, like 80, 89%, yeah, yeah. Um, overwhelmingly in support of Corbyn, then certainly there has been a... a Either you say there's been a cooling or there's been a concerted effort and campaign to try and sign up people who want to sign up specifically to vote against him. That's not likely to... Um, I don't think Owen Smith should be measuring... I was going to say measuring up the curtains in Labour's new HQ on Southside. But at the moment, I, I don't know what you think. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think... So a couple of points. There will be a lot of claims about what percentages of the the members are. Last time the Labour leadership did a consultation of the uh, members, they they literally pulled the first 1,000 responses, decided those must be representative, and kind of went on from there. The Labour Party is not really built for... I mean, obviously, they now do have... You know, they could use some of this money to get proper software for it. They don't. They don't know for certain uh, what what the six. You know, what what the political composition of these people are. Partly because there is a feeling, you can call it paranoia if you wish, on both sides. I've had people say to me, I've joined to vote for Corbyn, but I didn't put it because I was, I'm going to get purged. And you've had people saying, I joined to vote against Corbyn, and I didn't put it because I'm going to get purged. 
I mean, in reality, last time of a total electorate of 100,000 registered supporters, 3,000 people were, were purged for, you know, standing to, for other parties, being the, on the national executive of the national health executive. The I mean, bar like, was pretty high, the wasn't it? The bar was fairly high. and But, you know, there is a, a perception on both sides that if you put what you why you're really there you may be purged so i just wouldn't necessarily take any of that uh that seriously my i mean to be honest my strong feeling is i would be astonished if um if the registered supporters was as even as good for owen smith as as 60 40 um you know in terms of the quality of the the sort of social media offering of oh well, let's talk corbyn, about the fact that corbyn is a killer on Facebook. So I wrote my column on this this week. He's got 750,000 people signed up to um, his personal page. Uh, I was told by someone inside Labour's digital team that in the last week, uh, his page reached one third of all UK internet users because it will show up and related links from people that will people will share it with their friends. You know, and, and two thirds of people anyway are on on Facebook. Um, so you know, out of the people who use the internet, almost all of those people use Facebook, and lots of them will see that page. The official Labour Party page has only got, I say only, but it's still quite impressive. It's half a million, but it's less than Corbyn himself. And actually, from talking. So online campaigners, you know, they say the thing that something that we've we've noticed as well uh, with with Twitter and, and Facebook and the way we structure our website. People online, people like people. That was the phrase that I heard. You know, and actually, they people will want to follow Jeremy Corbyn in a way that they won't want to kind of hear just from the Labour Party as an entity. In the same way that I'm sure there are lots of people who follow, you know, your Twitter feed and they're invested in you more than they are invested in the in the New Statesman per se. Well, yeah, I mean, the classic example is the Staggers, which. Uh, when I was editing it as, you know, a fair whack of followers. And if you could bump up its its numbers, I would appreciate that a great deal. But it has about 10,000 less than I... As a human do. I, as a human do. Yeah. Um, um, but, I mean, that's, you know, that's a problem. I mean, when someone said to me, well, look, think about all the effort that they will have put into building an, up the David Cameron Facebook page. And that is now essentially, <laughs> a, well, not a waste of money, but it's they can't use that anymore. You know, it's it, this support, particularly online, is not easily transferable you know, two institutions. And I think that's one of the interesting things. I mean, when I looked on Tuesday, Owen Smith's Facebook page had, had fewer than 300, um, fewer than 3,000 people signed up. I suspect as he's got a bit more coverage, there will be more there. But certainly anyone else is is coming from a really long way behind on the most popular social network. And actually, I think it's really, we should talk about Facebook, not as a social network, but as a media company. I mean, it's how people get a huge amount of, of their news. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, several people on both both sides of, of you know left and you know both 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 the Labour Party and believe that Facebook will be almost as important as will be you know the second most important platform after the the BBC a long way back from the BBC of course but you know still and yeah the the thing I thought kind of summed up one of the reasons why my instinct is I just don't believe that saving Labour has 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 managed to recruit that many people was was the uh, were the videos urging people to sign up from Angela Eagle's now uh, mothballed campaign and Jeremy Corbyn's. Jeremy Corbyn's had subtitles. Angela Eagle's did not. Yeah, I think that's something that's really fascinating is I still kind of cringe when I see people who do Facebook videos that don't have subtitles on because you think, do you not know how many people are watching this at work and they don't have any headphones plugged into their computer and they can't play stuff over the office you know, on speakers? 
Um, but yeah, so I think that's something that actually Labour's digital offering is underappreciated. And as you say, uh, I think you made this point during the mayoral campaign that the, the targeting of, say, sort of Tamil voters with these sort of kind of strange things about how um, Sadiq Khan was going to steal your family jewellery, that will all happen in the next iteration via targeted ads online. So we might not see them. It'll be harder for them to surface. I mean, certainly there is a feeling among political campaigners um, that if you want something to get the press's attention, that you do it on Twitter because that's where everybody, everybody in the lobby is. If you want something that targets you know, voters and activists directly, you do it on Facebook. Yeah, I mean, there's this. This is the thing is, I mean, someone wants to put it to me that there's the efficient and there's the dignified aspects of political campaigning, and the efficient bit happens on Facebook, and then there's a lot of stuff, and also in going through people's doors and through music radio, etc., etc. And then there's the bits you do so the people who cover it and shape the stuff which matters appreciate what you're doing. So I know for a fact that there are certain uh, big name uh, bloggers, uh, activists, and columnists who receive uh, literature from both the main political parties that their geographical location would not necessarily. Yeah, I mean, so for example, I do not receive that much literature from any of the political parties other than the Greens uh, in uh, in my bit of, of Stoke Newington. But I know of other columnists who live uh, who who live sort of near me who receive literature. Than yeah, I mean, the Tories are not going to win Stoke Newington. What they want is that one person to go, oh isn't this targeting they're doing very clever. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. So I think it's something that I also think is going to be a theme of the summer is that um, this isn't a crude oversimplification, but I think it, it broadly holds true, which is that Jeremy Corbyn is really, really good at winning internal Labour elections and at campaigning to Labour activists. And that is and not in a way that he is unfortunately not to people who are soft UKIPers or swing voters in Labour Tory marginals, and I think you can see that in the fact that his demeanour has perked up considerably. Um, you know, there's a, there was a very strong anti Owen Smith splash that was obviously, uh, I would say, planted in the in the Times and the and the Guardian. I the fact that it appeared in both suggests to me that that came from a briefing from his team i'm sure they will get in touch to uh, to deny that if they want to but um you know and just generally they are they are better set up to run against owen smith than they are against theresa may yes i mean i think the the other aspect of all that of course is i think you know one of the many problems with saving labor as a message is one it doesn't convince soft corbynites right if you're a soft corbynite and thank you, by the way, uh, for all of you uh, in the Labour Party, regardless of your politics, whether you are a dyed-in-the-wall Corbynite, a despairing supporter of, of Liz Kendall, or or perhaps someone hoping for a restoration of Tony Blair even. I really appreciate your uh, various thoughts on the state of the party, even though I have been uh, incredibly rubbish at replying to lots of them. But the what I find really striking is if you're a soft Corbynite, you're worried about the competence, you're worried that he uh, he won't win... But you haven't looked at Angela Eagle or Owen Smith's rollout and gone, oh, they're competent. You don't think they'll win. And you're not convinced by this idea that the Labour Party needs to be saved. You think that the worst that will happen is a a bad defeat. And in some ways, it feels like the mirror image of when Labour tries to fight general elections on the platform of saving the NHS. Mm. People like the NHS. They think it will be around when they need it. And they kind of can't be bothered to put their hand in their pocket and pay to save it in the here and now. And my instinct is that saving Labour will... Yeah, do well to get as much of a share of the vote as Ed Miliband saving the NHS did in 2015, i.e. 31%. 
So, which brings me kind of uh, neatly on to, to game planning, what happens next, really. Um, but I think that's something that's maybe better saved for You Ask Us. So um, we'll join you again after the break. Hi, I'm Caroline. And I'm Anna. And together we host the New Statesman's pop culture podcast, Seriously. If this sounds like something you'd be interested in, you can get this episode and everything else we've done on newstatesman.com forward slash S-R-S-L-Y. And now it's time to go down the line to the lobby with George. Hi, Stephen. Hi, George. So Theresa May had her first Prime Minister's questions this week, and she was fairly formidable. Even veteran Prime Ministers are often uh, incredibly nervous and anxious about the occasion. Um, But if she was, it, it didn't show. It was a very assured performance. Um, she deployed dark humour quite effectively and left Tory MPs looking delighted and Labour MPs looking even more miserable than normal. Yeah, so it was, um, yeah, it was just, yeah, I guess she did have the advantage of having a full week to prepare, but it was a very polished uh, performance of PMQs, or should that be TMQs? Um, what was the kind of highlight of her performance from your perspective? So there was an extended riff that she used when Jeremy Corbyn attacked her over worker insecurity. And she said, um, of course, there are lots of unscrupulous bosses around and I'm sure uh, Labour MPs will be familiar with one and he treats you badly. He changes the rules in his favour. And then sounding remarkably uncannily like Margaret Thatcher, so leant forward and said, does this remind you of anyone? And that was so her moments of maximum confidence and and authority. She played on, on Labour divisions quite well. She thanked the 140 Labour MPs who voted for Trident for standing up for the national interest. Uh, she took quite a tough line on um, fiscal conservatism, saying he calls it austerity, I call it living within our means, which showed that although the surplus target's been abandoned as a matter of pragmatism, she's not um, resigning from the general uh, Tory economic stance. Right, so in terms of not resigning from that stance, what is yeah, like what does that sort of mean for the pattern of politics over the next few years? What what type of budget do we think is likely to come from Philip Hammond? Mm, it's very hard to say because Philip Hammond um, is not clearly in one ideological camp or another. Uh, the view of some on the Tory rights has always been that post-Brexit, the UK will become a more free market economy, uh, lower corporation tax. Of course, George Osborne has said it should go down to 15%, um, more deregulation, um, more foreign investment. And David Davis, actually, I spoke to him last night, has said, uh, has guaranteed that workers' rights won't be eroded as a result of, of Brexit. And so I think that there will be this tension between, on the one hand, the economic priorities of some Brexiteers who want a more free market model and, and those of of Theresa May, who's called for worker representation on company boards, uh, stricter controls on, on, on foreign takeovers. 
And where Philip Hammond sits within that divide will be quite crucial. Right. Um, to move from uh, one party to another, um, it feels likely that Jeremy Corbyn will be re-elected uh, leader of the Labour Party. What's your sense for, yeah, where, where now for the, for the PLP? Yes. So the expectation, rightly, I think, of most Labour MPs is that he will win and probably win by quite a large margin, um, perhaps even as great as his win last year. There's obviously within the media a lot of talk about split, um, a revival of the SDP scenario in 1981. Um, Actually, among most MPs, including those who a successful split would depend on, uh, there's much less of that. I think their hope is that they can narrow Corbyn's victory and come at him again. Uh, If that's not possible, then I think Labour will probably have to muddle along. And it may well be that it's the general electorate that uh, takes Corbyn out before uh, the Labour selectorate does. Right. I mean, just a question. I mean, if there is a snap election, which feels plausible, she has now sacked more ministers than her majority. Uh, what, what happens then? Uh, does Corbyn step down if he loses, or you know, obviously if he's prime minister, it kind of fixes itself? But what what what's the sort of scenario if Labour are defeated in a snap election? The convention would be that he departs at that point, particularly if Labour goes down to around 150 seats, as as some MPs fear, which would be, I think, its worst result since um, 1935. But as we've seen, Jeremy Corbyn doesn't always follow convention. And his he could well retain the support of the members. Um, he could argue that he hasn't had a full term in the job. They could point to the precedent of Neil Kinnock, uh, one of their old enemies, who was defeated in 1987, went on to fight and lose the 1992 general election. And given the current leadership system, as we've seen, you can lose the confidence of almost all of your MPs and still retain the backing of Labour members. What could force Jeremy Corbyn out at that point would be if he himself is exhausted by the job and no longer wants to do it, and we've had intermittent rumours that he's been close to stepping away, or if there's a schism within the Corbynites where some of his key backers say a new leader is is needed. Any chance of that, do you think, any time soon? No. Right. Well, in that case, I guess we'll have a lot more TMQs to talk about. So I've got um, a You Ask Us for our You Ask Us section. And of course, uh, listeners, we love hearing from you. Um, If you want to tweet us at Stephen KB or at Helen Lewis or drop us an email. Um, This one is really about um, future gazing, which you've got slightly more confidence about doing than I have, certainly, about what happens after a Corbyn win. Um, You know, do we think there's going to be an early election? Do we think there'll be a Labour Party split? Do we think there'll be another leadership challenge? What's your feeling about what might happen at the end of the year? I mean, my instinct uh, at, is isn't we will have a, an early election, if nothing else, because the economy globally and nationally is looking distinctly pre-recessional. Uh, Theresa May has sacked a fair whack of people. Um, so this is the idea that she's only got a majority of 12, effectively a working majority of 16, um, that she's kind of sacked more egos than she's kind of got as majority. So she could do with refilling the... 
the benches with more people. The, yeah. The thing is, right, and, I, and people talk about the Fixed Term Parliaments Act, so either that can be overturned, which is a, no problem because the Tories have got an overall majority, or they can get a, a new election through with a two-thirds majority, and what Labour Party can go, actually, we'd really rather not now and, and not look criminally weak. Um, if Labour are on the fi- kind of figures that we saw in that poll, I know that is a Theresa May bounce because she's just uh, she's just taken over. So she's on Tories on forty and Labour on twenty nine. Yeah, and UKIP have dropped a few points as well. No sign of the Lib Dem surge. Oh, no, actually, the Lib Dems are up a bit in that poll. But a, it's a Lib Dem sort of squall, I guess. Yeah. Um, that's that's pretty serious for Labour. But also, would it be career ending for Corbyn? No, um, my instinct, and again, if you are. If you are going to support Corbyn in, in this leadership election, and I have got your thinking um, vehemently wrong, do let me know. But my impression is that what will happen if there is a snap election and Labour go down to heavy defeat um, of the kind that poll would suggest, and indeed of the kind that every by-election, local election, yeah, all suggest Labour on course to get a, a worse result than it did in 2015... Um, Which I think is difficult for people to understand because a lot of people say to me, well, they won the tooting by-election, you won the mayoral race in in Bristol. And then you have to go into a very boring explanation of saying, well, at this point in the electoral cycle, Ed Miliband was, what, four to six points ahead? He was ten points ahead at this point. I mean, but also the thing is, is, it's not even about the polls because there was always a strong indication that the polls last time were a bit skew-if because uh, the Labour Party's performance in by-elections was never quite where it ought to have been, other than 2012. We kind of know that what happens in British politics is that people kind of go, oh, we don't really like the government, let's vote for the other guys in safe elections, by-elections, local elections. So there are two interesting subplots there. One is, thus far, the greater devolution of power doesn't appear to have started to lead to people treating local elections as not a referendum on the national government, with two exceptions, Wales and Scotland, where they've been devolved and with a fair whack of power for some time. So it would be interesting to see whether or not London starts to go down that pattern and whether or not as the Northern Powerhouse and the Metro Mayors. But so far, in the local elections where you'd expect them to do well, they've obviously lost seats. In by-elections, you know, kind of, you know, you know, in, in the 1994-97 days, Labour was getting kind of 30-point swings, they, which they very much did not get uh, in, uh, you know... In, in Tooting. In, you know, in, uh, Plus, the inherent problem with the, the, the mayors, so, for example, Martin Rees in Bristol, is that the mayoralties, by definition, are being contested in large urban centres, which are good for Labour, good for Corbyn's Labour specifically, right? Yeah, I think that's the other thing. It's just like... There, there are two problems. I mean, one, there's the problem that actually, even if you change the electoral system, there is no left-wing uh, combination that gets you close to, f- to 50 plus 1% of the vote, which is one of the many problems with the progressive alliance idea. Um, the other uh, problem is that we are in a proportional system. So on the first part of the fo- post, if you are strongest in the inner cities, university towns, it's great for the ego of certain MPs. I mean, so, you know, one 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 MP who is fairly uh, critical of Corbyn but has kept their mouth firmly shut because they think he's going nowhere, you know, said to me, and they said, well, to be honest, on paper, my seat is marginal. But, you know, I, I will lose a couple of thousand votes to UKIP, but I'll gain a lot more of that in the student areas and I'll gain a lot more of that uh, in the kind of, uh, you yeah, know, sort of, where the lecturers live. So they're sort of fine. 
the, yeah, so there are lots and lots of reasons to be very worried about uh, what, will, what will happen when, uh, when the Labour Party meets the electorate. But my instinct is if it's a snap election, people will say it was the fault of the, of the plotters, which obviously it doesn't help when the Labour Party is midway through a, a, a Labour League battle. He didn't get a fair whack. He didn't get a decent run of it. He should effectively get to serve a full term, as it were. Kinnock. Yeah, Kinnock will be the Lost other president. 87. Lost 87. Um, yeah. And so that's the other reason why I think it will be irresistible for Theresa May. Yeah, I mean, if the Conservatives cannot believe their luck, then they are going to get to fight a general election against Jeremy Corbyn once. The The prize of getting to do it twice... I mean, you'd have to be crazy to, to pass it up. Uh, and it, it's there waiting for them. I mean, partly because, to be honest, and this is a... Yeah, you know, if... If, you know, if if, if by some miracle uh, Owen Smith somehow was able to overturn what looks like a fairly massive deficit in the poll, probably a fairly massive deficit among these registered supporters, although, you know, for balance, it is worth noting that the only constituency Labour Party to issue a supporting nomination so far has done so for Owen Smith. Which is Richmond, right? Which yeah. I'm guessing is not massively representative. I think my problem is I went back and I reread a Vice interview that was done with um, John McDonnell and Jeremy Corbyn just before the last election this morning. And, it, you know, they talk very explicitly in that one, you know, when they had absolutely, they were still just members of the campaign group of, you know, left-wing Labour MPs uh, who felt very much shut out from the top of the, the Labour Party about not, you know, not feeling that parliamentary representation was really the be-all and end-all and actually about wanting to build a movement and a group. And I think this is the this is the fundamental clash for me is that their their ambitions are not necessarily parliamentary and their leading MPs whose ambitions are parliamentary. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's... I actually almost find it quite sad because I feel as though if... Uh, you know, if Corbyn were leading a, a movement, you know, if he were leading an extra parliamentary movement, I'd find him a lot more appealing than I do as leader of the Labour Party. Yeah, I mean, because the interesting thing is basically what is happening throughout Europe, and to a lesser extent, to be honest, with Saunders, but uh, I know that many of our listeners, like most of the British political class, are obsessed with the state, so I'm going to mention Saunders as well, he said peevishly, um, is that you have an insurgent left-wing party which is taking a great number of votes from the left, but also from, from other places. But it has knackered the uh, traditional Social Democratic Party. We've seen it with uh, De Linke in Germany, although obviously they are now in a fairly recessional state. We've seen it most recently with uh, Podemos and uh, and uh, the PSOE in, in, uh, in Spain. And the place where that bit of the left has been incredibly successful is Greece, where Syriza has not just... Yeah, has supplanted... Has yeah, become the mm. government effectively has eaten the uh, the traditional left-wing party uh, in, in uh, PASOK. What first-past-the-post means is that that is happening inside the walls of the existing Social Democratic Party. And understandably, traditional Social Democrats are not happy about it. Yeah. It's, it's not how they think politics should be. The interesting question is whether or not the insurgent left party would do better without the branding of the Labour Party, whether or not actually if momentum was standing against Labour in seats, it would do it would do better. Uh, it might. It might do differently badly. It's sort of hard to tell. Um, I don't know. I feel like all the way through, and I think this applies to Europe, well, with the exception of Greece, that has you know exceptional economic circumstances, I think probably rule it out of this. Um, you know, you have a, a much a smaller but energised 
radical left party, right? And I think that's the pro- that's the problem for social democracy. Is the same thing was the problem with the EU, right? It was lots of people thought it was very sensible, but no one felt really passionate about it. At least before the EU referendum, I think a few people have woken up to it now. I don't think I can I can see anyone getting passionate about Owen Smith and what he represents. Uh, you know, in the way that they do about about Jeremy Corbyn, and that's that's the problem. It's the kind of enthusiasm gap, right? It's the kind of you know that you should eat, a, 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 you know, an apple, but actually, what you really want is a Twix. But the thing is, so people got very passionate. I mean, obviously, he's now got some slight problems with the Italian banking sector and et cetera, et cetera. So Matteo Renzi, it turns out, is literally a scale model of New Labour uh, to condense down to four years. You have the bit where it's like I'm a reforming new type of politician. Everyone gets excited. Then you have a banking crisis and it all goes horribly wrong, but they've squeezed it down into four years. Um, but, you know, Ren- Renzi, a moderate social democrat, great one-liners, wonderful hair. You know, I-, I love every tradition of this part of the left other than of losing. Um, has got people to be genuinely passionate about him. I do think... So, obviously, there are genuine problems for social democracy, not least the fact that it has always struggled in Europe as effectively a, a political option of good times, and then people see it as the charity standing order, and they cancel the minute things get tough. But the other thing is, I mean, Owen Smith's a bit crap, isn't he? <laughs> Within the safety of the podcast, uh, I can say that he hasn't wowed me so far. I don't think that's. Uh, I think that's a problem. I, 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 yeah, and I think that I think that vote for the least worst guy is in no one's idea of a brilliant rallying call. I mean, I think the thing is, is so, so obviously I find it persuasive because I, you know, I, I look at the polling, I look at the local elections, and I basically think that if Corbyn leads Labour into the twenty twenty election it will write off the 2025 election for sure and it may well write off Labour as a party of government. But if you if you aren't convinced of that, if you even only think that Jeremy Corbyn will simply lose the 2020 election, what is... Yeah, I do hear that a lot from Smith people offer? who support Corbyn, who, who I think if there was somebody that they felt was a ready-baked package that would win, they would say, okay, well, you know, we need to... We know, obviously, this isn't the right person. We need to lobby them on X, Y and Z. But you can't say... Jeremy Corbyn is unelectable and then present us with someone else that we don't think looks particularly electable either. If we're going to be, you know, if we're going to lose, we want to lose while feeling good about ourselves and feeling that the party's in a place that, you know, we'd ideally want it to be. Anyway, that was uh, <laughs> that was depressing, but uh, I don't think it's going to get any uh, chirpier over the summer, is it, Stephen? Did, people, did we actually answer the question of what happens when he wins? Uh, I think there's a lot of rending of, of garments, gnashing of teeth. I, I don't think there'll be an immediate challenge to him again now. It seems to me that the, there might be a sort of zombie PLP state where people stagger on for a bit. I mean, he's been talking about extending the hand of friendship and people come back into the shadow cabinet. There's two. believe that. Well, there's two reasons I don't, I don't believe that. First of all is, how do you do your first TV interview where they say to you, so Chris Bryant, you said that he was terrible. What do you think? It, like, what changed your mind? And there's no plausible answer to that apart from... I'm grimly here, um, sticking it out. And the second thing is, it's not a great reward to the loyalists, to the very few loyalists, right? To your Rebecca Long Baileys and your Cat Smiths and all that kind of stuff. That you would say, well, you know, thanks for stepping into the shadow cabinet at a time when I was incredibly unpopular in the PLP and all the kind of grimness that you'll have got in the tea room and uh, about that. But actually, you know, I'm sorry, you know, I'm, I actually really want to give Tristram Hunt your job now. Yeah, I also think like you just can't do that to people. That you know. The other interesting subplot of all of this is if you notice the way that the policy platform is subtly shifting. So things like support for high speed two, right? 
now Lillian Greenwood, probably one of the people who's thought most keenly about transport policy in, in the Labour Party. One of Corbyn's best decisions was to promote her, mystifying to me why why Ed Miliband uh, gave that job to, uh, to 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 Michael Duggar instead of her in the first place. But you know, you know, very very good at it. Pro high speed too. Had you know had a lot of classes she kept very quiet about because she's very much not someone who briefs against people until she quit and went look this is one of the big problems and immediately you have John Trickett going oh actually maybe I'm going to say I oh, maybe I've got some objections to where the route is going at that point from the loyalist perspective why would you want to share to to retake on the policy concessions you had for the first nine months he didn't buy them very much at that point yeah they might as well you know go go for the kind of maximalist offer you know. Do that thing I hate and quote the West Wing. Let Corbyn be Corbyn. I watched that episode two nights ago, and Leo writes it on the napkin, and you're just like, oh, little did you know when you filmed this episode that you were ruining British politics for ten years to come. Well, that's a nice note to end on. Um, yeah, do tweet us or email us with your questions, and we we have plenty of time to answer them over the summer. What fun it! You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Will be. And finally, it is plug time. Stephen and I will be appearing live, plus special guests, on the, uh, well, it's the first day of, of Labour conference, actually. So you can come down before getting the train up to Liverpool. That is Sunday, the 25th of September from 1.30 at King's Place for the London Podcast Festival. And we will be appearing live. Um, tickets are available from King's Place via their website, or um, Stephen and I will both tweet some links in the coming yeah. days. Yeah. Be there or miss my version of Hamilton rewritten to be about the Tory leadership contest. Yeah, it's an exciting time. Um, also, uh, you have the opportunity to see me in the company of another spirit-sapping liberal, uh, Nick Clegg. Um, on, uh, now, King, now Lib Dem King of Brexit. Now so Dem you'll be able King to talk about Europe with him. That'd be nice. Uh, on the, on, the tw- on the, this next Tuesday, that's Tuesday the 26th of July, uh, if you go to www.newstatesman.com forward slash events, uh, you will see... Troubled Waters, Stephen Bush and Nick Clegg in conversation on post-Brexit Britain. Um, But yeah, do come along. It'll be great fun. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast presented by me, Helen Lewis, and produced by Anna Leskovitz. You can find us every week at newstatesman.com forward slash podcast or on iTunes. Our theme music is Devil with the Devil by the Underscore Orchestra, licensed under Creative Commons. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.